Hey there, Pastor Dave Berkey with the Allenwood Church. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you are blessed by the message. Remember, you can find every next step at allenwood.church. You can submit a prayer request there. You can send us a message. You can support the ministry. I hope and pray that the Word of God meets you in a real, impactful way today. Enjoy. What I, you know, it's, everything's already gone, right? The trees are out, everybody's getting ready. Our trees are dying. I saw a commercial the other day, not a commercial, somebody's video, one of my friends posted, they had to take their tree down because it was like half dead. It was the ugliest thing because it just died even yesterday before any of it, right? So all of a sudden we move on to the next season, but I, it's always a wonderful reminder for me that like we never have to let go of the gift of Christ. Like the spirit of Christmas is an everyday thing for us as believers. And so where it's amazing to focus in on and seasons and all of that, we get to take it even into today and tomorrow and we can celebrate Christmas really at any point in time because of what it represents, God incarnate, God coming to be with us. Um, we're going to continue back into the Gospels. We're looking at the life of Christ who we celebrated his birth being so, but uh, his life is where we're gleaning so much of what the kingdom of God looks like and what the king of the kingdom of God looks like, namely Jesus himself and the way that he loves us and the way that he condemns sin and yet at the same time is forgiving of sin uh, depending upon the stature of the heart in which he's speaking to. And so in our in our chronological walkthrough of the Gospels today, the next place that we are at, Matthew and Luke record both. We're going to spend our time in Matthew today, though. Matthew chapter 12, if you'd like to turn with me. Matthew, Matthew 12, verses 38. We're going to start it and go to 40 or 42. So it's Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. Um, Jesus is going to bring up and confirm for us an Old Testament story that we probably don't tend to turn to in our Bibles. If you go to like read in the morning or something, you don't traditionally, you won't traditionally go to the book of Jonah. Even though it's a really cool story, uh, we probably know more about Jonah if you've been in church for a while than uh, VeggieTales, you know, VeggieTales telling you than you do actually reading uh, the story of Jonah. But Matthew actually confirms the history of the story and that it has a deeper meaning of Jonah being in the belly of the whale for those three days um, than it actually did. And so he's going to address that here with the Pharisees. And so in ways today, I want you to be thinking about, we always look at the different uh, pieces of people who are involved and the hearts of those people and the statures of the people. And we always want to be in the right place. And so we're going to see, specifically we're going to hone into uh, the hearts of the Pharisees who are looking for a sign and the hearts of the Ninevites that aren't necessarily portrayed in here, but I'm going to bring it in because Jesus mentions it, and I think there's, I think you'll see here, there's, there's a full liberty to do so. But our text this morning reads, And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of pr the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it 
for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So we have a different class of people asking for a sign now. Um, now remember, in a way, those that approach Jesus for healings, um, for miracles on behalf of other people, on behalf of themselves, they really were asking for a sign. They believed that Christ was able to do, and he actually did right in front of them. So in a way, they were looking for Jesus to do the miraculous. They were looking for a sign. And in many ways, we're going to see as well, there are other accounts where people actually look to Jesus to give them a sign to confirm their faith. It's always okay with Jesus for us to ask and to consider of God when we are looking and asking for the right reasons, when it's coming out of a proper heart position. The Pharisees and the scribes are being condemned for their asking of a sign because they've already had plenty of signs. They've already walked in faith and they're not looking for Jesus to confirm their faith or to build upon their faith. They're looking for this sign on their own accord. And so I want to start here by looking at the Pharisees, their place. Uh, we've done a lot of this already. So a lot of it's going to just be recounting for you. There's no difference, right? All throughout the scripture that Jesus is harsh with those whose hearts are hardened towards him. And he is the most gentle of doves to those who come before him in humility. It's one of the things that I love about the picture of Jesus as a man that I think that we get wrong as men in the world where the world kind of portrays men as always needing to be, you know, harsh and, and whatever, or we're being portrayed and you're seeing the feminization of men in the world today. Where's the opposite side of it, where it's like, oh, we're always gentle and loving and do things with love. And we see a very clear, Jesus knew when to be hard and he knew when to push and he knew when to, when to condemn and when to speak poignantly to the right places. But he also was one of the most gentle, loving, caring, compassionate people that we have ever seen relate to sin of those that knew what their sin did to them and was doing to them. In the ignorance of it, he's harsh and he's harsh here. They actually are saying to him, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, literally in the Greek, it's master. They're not really proclaiming Jesus as master in their heart. They're proclaiming Jesus as master by word to appease him. But he knows he's not really their master. We see that because of the way that he responds here. We want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you, Jesus. Remember, God's always ready and willing to answer holy desires and prayers, but he will not gratify corrupt lusts and humors. Very clear differentiation. Jesus' response to them asking for a sign is declared to them, the scribes and the Pharisees, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. This word adulterous um, literally suggests that Israel was spiritually unfaithful to God by its religious formality outwardly, but its rejection of the Messiah inwardly. So this adultery is one where, oh, what, what a word, right? How many times do we actually pay attention and realize that, that one of the great sins of the scripture is that of adultery. We, we always apply it to uh, 
We have kids in the room? We do. Uh, we always apply it to uh, lustful things, right? Um, I, I don't know if you've all seen, but Ravi Zacharias now, just tragic testimony of men of God falling to the sin of lust and destroying others' lives. I mean, like foundations, right? And we know that this is going to happen more and more, but it seems to be like the, like the thing of the day that the enemy is using to just destroy the works of God. We know what it's like when there's that uh, real, you know, abuse between two people, but there is so much more in the scripture that actually calls us uh, adulterous in our hearts. Uh, mis misplacing our desires and wants towards other things other than God, our bridegroom, is adultery. And, and I, we can't, I want to encourage you, we, we can't box things in. We talked in, on Sunday about boxing things in, right? Oh, well, adultery is when I'm leaving. Well, I've been faithful to my spouse. We know what that's like. We know what it means to be faithful when it comes to, you know, intimacy. But do we know what it means to be faithful to God spiritually in heart? Do we apply it as the same thing? Or is it just like, well, you know, I'm not actually going and getting those things. I just think about them all day long. I just want them all day long. I haven't ever really acted on it, and so it's okay. The Bible's pretty clear that we break God's heart just as much there as we would if we were to go after it. Now, of course, there are different consequences for the going after, but the heart of God is still broken in the same way, into the same amount of pieces, <laughs> Because sin is sin, and it is what it is. There are levels in our consequences of sin, but sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what keeps us in bondage. Sin has a, a myriad of many different effects, but the act of sin itself always breaks the heart of God in the same way. Jesus is actually saying to this generation, he says this evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and when no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So he says, you're not going to get one. You're asking for something to be confirmed for you, but you won't get it. Now, if we were just reading this, we can say, well, don't ever ask for a sign. But Jesus isn't declaring signs being the issue. What he's declaring is the intent of the want of the signs being the issue. Uh, Paul, Paul actually encourages us to evaluate whether or not we're in the faith in, uh, the, to the Corinthian church. They were full of massive amounts of infighting and sins that are listed as sins of the flesh all over the place. And Paul's encouragement to them was, you ought to get before God and consider yourself to see whether or not you actually are a son or a daughter of God. You ask him, Right? We have examples in the Old Testament where it's okay for a Christian to put God to the test, not to confirm that he's God, but maybe to confirm what he's doing or how he wants to do something. There's a difference in the heart. Do I want Jesus to show up and do a miraculous sign and then I'm gonna believe in him? Very different than, Lord, I am broken and I just need you to show up in a way of my life today that I just, I know that you are doing something here because I just can't take anymore. Will you reconfirm in me that you're here, that you're, you're available, that as I draw near to you, you make well on your promise to draw near to me? And those are acceptable signs because the heart is a desire to want to know more, to grow more, to get closer to God. The scribes and the Pharisees 
are looking for a sign because they've already settled into the kind of God that they know they need and they're just trying to entrap him. And he's like, you're not getting anything from me. Nice try. Remember what he just came from doing though. He's healing people from demon possession. Great sicknesses that would have led to death, literally getting up and walking. We're gonna see amazing acts of healing and signs when they're asked for, sometimes when they're not even asked for, simply because they are there. But um, even, the, even the, um, the woman that touches the hem of his coat as he's walking, that was almost her asking for a sign because she knew he was the only one that could do anything about the issues that she had going on in her body. And he responds, why is this power going out of me? She, she asked him without even asking in her heart. It was, it was a confirmation. It was, Lord, show up, please. Are you here? Where are you? The scribes and Pharisees are no. Lord, show us a sign and confirm that you're really the Messiah. No, you're not getting that. What is the sign that he tells them they will have? The scriptures that they're very well acquainted with. The scripture that they're very well acquainted with. Um, I'm gonna kick off again a reading through the Bible in a year and I'm hoping that many will join me as we do so. But the word of God, as we've always come back to, is so important because it is through the word of God that the confirmation of truth is had by the spirit in your life. It's through the word of God that encouragement comes and sharpening comes and, and sanctification comes. God uses his word that is steadfast, that is unchangeable, that is holy, set apart. There's nothing else like it. And yet in many ways, there's no power in this book at all. The power is through the Holy Spirit that does its work with the book right? The, the, through the word of God. And so there's aspects of this where, where this evil and adulterous generation is seeking after a sign. No sign will be given to them except the sign that's already been given. So he's essentially saying, know your word. You have the word. You know all that. You don't need another sign from me. You have plenty from me. And he's going to actually condemn them even more for the ways in which they respond, respond to it. But you will have the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I'm not going to go back and read Jonah, but Jonah is a very short book, and it's a very action-packed book. So if you're looking for something to do today, and you're like, I want to pick up my Bible. I haven't done it in a while. Turn to Jonah. It's a, it's a really great little book. You'll feel accomplished because you'll be able to sit and read through the whole thing um, in a short sitting. It's, a, it's, it's an awesome, awesome story. When we think about Jonah, we always think about Jonah in the belly of the whale, which is what Jesus is pointing to here. But there's an aspect of Jonah being in the belly of the whale. The reason he was in the belly in the first place is because he was running away from the call of God. God calls Jonah as a prophet to go to this pagan island, this pagan city of Nineveh that literally were just pagan, I mean, involved in massive amounts of ridiculous, idolatrous worship. Every sin in the Bible, it was known as this wicked and terrible place. God picks Jonah up from where he is, and he calls him to go to this heathen run, heathen actively serving city. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going there. So he hops on a boat in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And while they're in the water, the, the trip is so bad that the people who don't know who he is literally throw him overboard because they're like, why are we being cursed like this? They attributed something was wrong on the boat and they needed to get rid of it. We were talking, uh, I was talking to uh, my brother and sister-in-law last night. We've been talking a lot about the whole spiritual demon possession and the different things. And, um, you know, one of the things came up where one of the, one of the traditions 
is that things are what are able to carry curses. So a lot of times what, uh, what witches will use or what different people involved in, in spiritual things is they'll actually place a curse on an object and then they'll do everything they can to get that object into the hands of the person that they're looking to curse. So they use objects, which is the worship of objects, really. So it even begins there to be able to send something into someone else. And so a lot of times in stories, and I, I'm not sharing this because I know where I stand on all of it, but um, when you hear stories or you read accounts of people coming in and cleansing homes and whatnot, they, they look for things like that to get rid of it, right? It's like, get it out of here. Sometimes we have superstitions that are not anywhere biblically grounded, but it's, you know, it's an old, an old uh, you know, timepiece from an aunt and her uncle, right? It's like, oh, my uncle had this curse. I got to get rid of this thing or whatever it might be. So this Jonah becomes the person that they're like, you're not supposed to be here. We're being cursed by whoever your God is because of what you did. You got to go. And they throw him off into the water. And the historical account is that a whale swallows Jonah. And believe it or not, people actually have been swallowed by whales and have been spit back up again. So it's not a far-fetched idea. It has happened. There's history in it happening. Jonah's not the only one that it happened to. You can go, we'll, maybe we'll get into that if we do a study through Jonah. But this whale spits Jonah out. Where does it spit him out to? Nineveh, right? Right where he didn't want to be because Nineveh, uh, Jonah's heart and his disregard to the obedience of God was not going to thwart God's plan. So he ends up going to, jo to Nineveh anyway. He's, he's anticipating getting stoned because God sends him there with this message of condemnation. If you don't turn away from all of these evil things, he says, you're, whole, you're all going to be destroyed. And he expects them just like any other prophet that comes, you know, with, with condemnations towards people or nations that, oh, get out of here. You know, peace, peace, leave us alone. We're, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. Everything's fine here. We haven't had any issues and no one's told us about our issues until you showed up. He was anticipating getting stoned. Instead, the people of Nineveh repent, turn to God, and are saved. The Bible tells us that the next generation after that turns back into their sins again. But Jesus is almost in many ways confirming Jonah and his mission of preaching repentance to the nation of Nineveh happened after he was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights in the heart of a fish, in the belly of a great fish. And then he says, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the context here is that Jesus is saying to these scribes and Pharisees, you have in your word, Jonah's account of being in the belly of a fish for three days. He gets out. What happens afterwards? The people of Nineveh repent. They turn away from their wicked ways and they turn to God. And their nation is healed. They are healed for a whole generation. They go back into those things again. Remember what we talked about. But he's saying, you already have that sign the sign that's going to complete that sign to you is when I die and buried for three days and then I rise again. So he's gonna be buried into the earth. He's gonna rise again. Jesus says, the only sign you're gonna get is when my life is laid down on the cross and I pick it back up again three days later. And if you continue to deny it then, you will deny it for all of eternity. This is all they need. They don't need another sign. They already have the sign of Jonah. They already have the confirmed word of God that is already pointed. All the prophets of the times past are always pointing to the cross of Christ. 
And everything now, we're looking back to it because it is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that mankind is set free by the gospel, the good news that he died once and for all for our sins, past, present, and future, raised again to newness of life and called us into that glorious light. It's the songs we all just, we all just sung. The Son of Man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Uh, I was also having the conversation, you know, about the, the judgment that's going to be coming to the earth. Don't ever forget that the Bible declares that judgment will first come to the house of God. Even then, after being saved and redeemed, the Bible declares, yes, we want to we, we be out of here as, you know, pre-wrath people, pre-trib. Hopefully Jesus comes and gets us. We don't have to deal with the wrath of God being poured out and all that's going to be good. The Bible still says there's a judgment coming and it first comes to the household of God. Now the blood of Christ covers us and we've been redeemed and saved and set free, but what eternity looks like is based upon that judgment seat. And this is a confirmation of this, one of the many verses. But Jesus is literally saying to this wicked and perverse generation, because all men and women will be raised again, just some to everlasting life and some to everlasting death. At that raising again, there is a judgment seat that's going to happen. And what Jesus is saying to this generation, when the judgment comes, when you wake up and you stand before the judgment seat of God, God himself is going to allow the generation of Nineveh that repented and was saved to condemn your unbelief. Why? Because they didn't have Jesus walking with them. They had some little dude who came from a wonderful, perfect little area with hardly any of the things going on, told them that God was going to condemn them. Because of that, they were forgiven in, you know, there's confirmation here, I believe. They, they were received into the kingdom of God. They repented. And Jonah, if you read the story of Jonah, Jonah didn't even tell them how to repent. He, it wasn't like he, repent, turn away from all these things. It was just like, God's going to destroy you in 24 days, whatever the time frame was, if you don't clean up your act. And that was it. And their response was a proper one, but not because Jonah told them. Their response was because their hearts were changed. And so that generation is going to rise up at the day towards these scribes and Pharisees who have the word of God, who have the prophecy of, of Jonah and the story of, of Nineveh being saved and redeemed, who have all the prophets after that declaring God is a righteous God. Our sin will not stand before him. It has to be dealt with. Turn, repent to him with all of who you are. Turn back to God. And instead they're like, uh, show us a sign first. And then the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. In 2 Kings, Solomon is king and ruler and this queen comes from the south. It wasn't an easy journey. It was a very long journey. She literally leaves her land to inquire of Solomon and his wisdom of life because there was something inside of her that knew there needed to be more. The Bible literally accounts her being saved by her faith because of her rising, something changed inside of her. 
And these people, these scribes and these Pharisees have even Solomon's wisdom. And what Jesus is pointing to is your hearts are in the worst place they could possibly be. You're not even inquiring me. You, you haven't even inquired of God of what is right and wrong, of what he cares about and what he doesn't care about. And here I am, the incarnate God, and all you want from me is a sign to show some kind of my power. You don't really want this, you don't want anything to change. And because of that, at the day of judgment, the sign that you will have is the three days later I will raise again. And when you stand at the judgment, God's not even gonna be, the, I'm sure he's there at the judgment seat, but the generations, those that are gonna be, are gonna be judging are the people of Nineveh and this queen from the south. And their condemnation is going to be, we believed and trusted, our hearts were softened, God forgave us because we sought after him. What is it that, God's, that, God, that God desires? Not a sacrifice, mercy, and a love, and a humble heart. And that's gonna be their judgment. Now, what does all this mean? Jesus is one more time here giving us the differentiation between a heart that is looking for God to do something miraculous and a heart that loves and cherishes God. A heart that realizes that he is the source of all things and that they've been separated from him. It's one more pointing to the resurrection, which is the gospel and where it needs to be. The reality is Jesus is saying that pagan people were more responsive to Christ than the Jewish people who he was a part of themselves were to him. A pagan nation. And the challenge is that unbelief is a moral issue, not an intellectual problem. They didn't need a sign to confirm their intellect. They had a moral issue that only God was able to deal with, but they didn't want to acknowledge it. There wasn't an acknowledgement of that moral issue. Now, at the outset, this is speaking about salvation. So saved, not saved. But just as we are, we have been saved, we are still being saved. So a part of your sanctification, you're walking with God, is that you are being saved. Which in many ways, this is pointing to a continual change of heart, a continual change of moral character, which requires a continual repentance before God. An acknowledgement of seeing the things that need to change in you that are opposite of the righteousness and the, and, the, and the character of God. It's a moral thing, not an intellectual problem. I wanted to give you a real life personal example. I have, so, so four, five months ago, I started really dealing with some things and I didn't know what it was. It was like this new feeling or emotion inside that I didn't traditionally wrestle with or even know was even available. And it came out in some of the same ways that sin comes out for me as a person. But as I was going through the list of the normal things that I know that I consistently need to go back to, it was like none of the things were hitting it, right? Sometimes I get afraid. I have not been afraid through this whole thing. I haven't felt that. I just haven't. In fact, I think I, sometimes I do, I do better in crises. 
And so while everybody else's problem is fear, I'm like, oh, I'm not afraid, I'm good. And my tendency is just like, oh, everything else is fine. Everybody else, I need to make sure everybody else is good because I'm not dealing with fear. I know that I have anxiety stuff. And I have gotten really good at when I get anxious, I, I know the people to run to and I know how to do this because they direct me back to the Lord and I know the scriptures that are able to recount and they deal with me in those issues that I'm constantly being worked with and moving through, right? I know that I sometimes deal with anger and frustration. I know that my son gets that sometimes every once in a while and I know that often it happens when I'm exhausted and I'm tired and so I just need to be quiet and go take a nap and I you know, kind of get refreshed and refocused and I get back into the word again. But for months, there's been this like lingering other thing inside of my deceitful heart. The Bible says deceitful and wicked above all things, right? It's just like so all over the place. I believe our emotions are something that we've denied because of how crazy they get. So generally in the church, we're like, oh, don't worry about your emotions. They're just always gonna steer you wrong. But without the emotions, there's no real love for God. So I've always kind of been that like, our emotions need to be redeemed too. And in fact, if you look at all the sins, that are listed in the scripture, the sins of the flesh, they're really emotional sins, right? Anger, fear, what are, what are those things? They're emotions. So if, we, if we ignore them, it's not gonna help us. So I'm, traditionally, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And my wife, I've watched her heal uh, her body. She, she had issues with, um, what's, what's the, eczema, you know, for a long time, especially when we first got married and I watched her go through researching and, holistic medicines and trying to figure out different things. And I've watched her do that where God's given her wisdom in natural remedies to help her feel better and all these things to heal. And she's done such an amazing job. So in the same way, I've watched the gifts of God be given through places and be able to bring healing. And so I'm not always one that will totally dismiss some of the different medical, you know, holistic doctors and stuff like that. But I also don't run to those things right? My wife does as much of that as she can for me. I eat healthy because of her. When she's not around, you'll catch me with the biggest burger I can get on a menu with ketchup, and I'll go out for ice cream dates when she's, you know, she takes the kids and whatever. So, so I, so she, like, even for health reasons, she knows what helps my anxiety, and so she's really good at that, you know? But I don't run to holistic people. So we, so we have someone that's recently been coming to the church who is a, a holistic doctor, and so she and I were going to talk about a lot of the stuff going on with COVID, and we're going to talk about that and do a separate little podcast, but um, she, she does this scan thing. She brought this equipment that she has, right? And I'm naturally, like I said, like I don't, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to put my hand here. You're going to tell me what's wrong with my body? Okay. So she, we do these three things and this report's printed up. And now I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying this stuff is what it is, but I'm telling you that God used this to wake me up from a slumber and has been dealing with me over the past week or two. It just broke my heart when I realized what was actually going on because there's a new emotional sin in my life that I've been dealing with and I've never had to put a name to this because it's not something I've ever really wrestled with. And so I want to share this with you, but I want to share it with you because, not because it's, you know, something that you all need to go and do, but I, I, want, you to, I want you to see what this thing came up with. And regardless of whether or not this can change or not, um, you know, so I, I need you to hear me very clearly when I say that. But, um, so worry. Yeah. I worry every day. I hope all you're probably worrying, right? What's going on here? How am I getting my papers done? Whatever. 
exhausted. Yeah, I'm tired, <laughs> right? I mean, I've been, I've been exhausted or whatever. And then there's this third one, resentful. And I couldn't even put words to what resentful was. I'm like, what, the, what in the world is resentfulness? Like, I'm not resentful. This is the definition. It's a feeling or expressing bitterness or indignation at having been treated unfairly. I need you to pray for me because I didn't even know, I didn't even know I had resentfulness in me. Like I didn't even know it was there. And I still don't even know who it's towards, but I realized that I was searching for like days after this, I'm going, what? Lord, why? And finally, I put a word to what I've been feeling. Okay, there's something wrong because it's coming out, it's leaking out of me in places that like, I don't want it to leak out of. That's, it's not because I'm tired that I'm short and I'm whatever it is. It's like, this is what is going on. This is what I'm dealing with. I'm, there's resentfulness inside of me. And I don't even know if this is like all of these things. I can tell you that all this did was confirm what I've been looking at for the past three months and going, what in the world is going on? Why am I feeling this way? And I realized, I, I don't even know, I'm starting to get an idea of where I'm resentful towards, I think. But ultimately, the Lord, the Lord broke me two days ago when I realized that this indignation at having been treated unfairly at its core is between me and him. And there's like this thing inside of me, and I don't even know why, but I started realizing that throughout the day, I feel like, why, why this, God? And, and it's resentfulness towards him. And I realized, like, because you have me here. That's why. And it's this renewal, this thing, there's this repentance. And it didn't help me to ignore it for months. I just found work to do. I, like, hit it well. Oh, I'm good. Just dismissed everything here and there. Finally, something happened. I didn't even pull this up. I'm sorry. I thought that I'd, I'd thrown this up. This is why you're all like, what is he talking about here? And it, so, so this, this worry, exhausted, resentful, right? Tense, okay. Grief, okay. Yeah, I'm grieving different things. There's a mediocre level of hatred I, I, you, know, you deal with. We all kind of have these, these things. But what has been hitting me mostly is the worry exhausted full, but I've been resentful. I've been resentful towards God. And the only way that I'm dealing with that is repentance. And what does repentance look like for me? It's like, God, I'm feeling this way and I know it's wrong. And I'm not supposed to be feeling this or thinking this. And I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to think this way anymore. And you know what happens? It's like, a, it's like a turning back to the Lord. It's this blessing of freedom and release. And then one more thing happens and I go, oh, that's why I'm blaming you for why I feel like all my projects aren't done yet. Oh, God, I'm blaming you because I don't understand why instead of during the past three months, I've picked up side jobs instead of trusting you for where I need to be as the pastor and doing other roles. Oh, I've, I've been making that your, I've been resentful because I don't understand why I'm in the position that I'm in. 
and I just ignored it, just doing what I need to do. I only, I only show you this not because you even have any of these things or whatever you do. I, I show that to you. Can Jimmy, yeah. Jess, can you get rid of that? I just, I show that to you because I want you to understand the gospel deals with morality, not intellectualism. The gospel deals with morality, not intellectualism. And we want to always be like the pagan Ninevites who are able to hear from God, I didn't create you to be resentful towards other people. That's not my law. That's not what I love and care about. I didn't create you to be angry and to let it come out all over the place. That's not what I care about. The sign that you need is not for me to fix everything around you. What you need is for me and the gospel to take root in your heart and for repentance to take place. It's a moral issue that needs to be dealt with. And I don't know if maybe this is the time that I needed it because all of us need it, but I just, I, I couldn't help thinking like, I wonder how many new moral sins have risen up in our heart because of the new nature of the way that life is right now. Like the new normal. I hate that word with all that saying, right? Is it normal? My point is that life is different than it was a year ago. And in that, our flesh responds differently. You know that. Don't be fooled by Satan's tactics if you've been a Christian for 15, 20 years and you've gotten most of your sins to a place where you know when you need to repent, when you need to say sorry, and you're kind of on autopilot. Because that's when we get caught off guard. We get caught off guard. And the gospel calls us in our morality to come before God and be broken over these things. But if we don't acknowledge them first, we stand naked before him. So it's not like he needs to know or hear it from us. It's an us issue. We need to go, God, I am clearly resentful. And I finally have an English word to put through this and, and then you start thinking through the day and you go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't, you don't realize how much some of these things have overtaken us because they were like new things. They're nor, new moral issues that have almost crept in that we didn't necessarily have in our belt of religion like the scribes and the Pharisees because that's what was going on. The scribes and the Pharisees were convinced that they had their religion under wraps. They had their relationship with God in lock and key. And Jesus says, you're asking for a sign for the wrong reason. What you ought to be asking for is the greatest miracle of all, and that is the change of a heart. Do you know it's like the core of the gospel of Christianity is change. That change is real. That change is possible that I have hope and I'm already seeing it, that in my repenting and my laying these issues before the Holy Spirit, that my heart is changing again and I'm experiencing more of the abundant life that Christ has promised me. And the reality is that maybe the next phase of this thing is gonna bring up something else. But the key to a 
full, happy, enjoyable life is continued repentance in morality, not intellectualism. You don't need to figure out how God's responding or acting or what he's gonna do tomorrow. What you need to do is ask God to show you what's standing in his way between you and his spirit and grieving him. Lay it down and let him continue that work of repentance and sanctification. Repentance and sanctification is always in morality, not in intellectualism. I had so much more that I wanted to go through, but we're, we're done. Um, I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with these two things. Jonah preached nothing but wrath and ruin within 40 days. He gave no instructions, directions, or encouragements to repent. But Christ, besides the warning given us of our danger, has shown where we must repent. And he's assured us of acceptance upon our repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The queen of Sheba had no invitation to come to Solomon. He didn't reach out to her, nor any promise of even being welcomed into his palace. But we're invited to Christ to sit at his feet and to hear his word. This adulterous and wicked generation that's going to be judged by Jonah and the, and the, the Ninevites who repented after Jonah's prophesying to them and this queen of the south responded in a way that Jesus says after the son of man is in the heart of the earth for three days and raised again we surely have much more of opportunity much better of intellectual understanding and therefore have less excuse of laying our moral lives down and saying God what is what is in me that you created me a clean heart? Renew my spirit. Give me the abundant life. I want to live and shine bright as things around me are dark. I want to be ready for this transition that is eventually coming to our nation. Are you ready if you're going to be here before Christ comes to get us? The readiness comes from a moral cleanness. And a moral cleanness comes from the gospel Namely, Jesus Christ already having paid the price for those things and us repenting and turning to him away from those moral things that keep us from Christ. God's always ready and willing to answer holy desires and prayers, but he is not willing to gratify corrupt lusts and humors, those things he calls us to lay down for the sake of the gospel in doing so.